This podcast is brought to you in part by Collab Media, content created with Christ in mind. To publish your content with Collab Media, visit media.collab.life. Now sit back and enjoy your podcast. My name is Charles Strait, and I am the pastor of the Faith United Methodist Church, and you are listening to Moral Justice. Moral Justice is the offering of the social justice ministry of the Faith United Methodist Church. Our social justice ministry is entitled The Next Movement. We believe that social justice is at the heart of the Christian faith and that we must live out the faith that we confess in our hearts so that the world will see Jesus in the work that we do. Welcome to Moral Justice, a offering of the Faith United Methodist Church Social Justice Ministry. My name is Charles Strait, and I'm the pastor of Faith Church. And this morning, I have the great honor of talking with Reverend Doris Green. Reverend Green is the founder and CEO at Men and Women in Prison Ministry, as well as author of the wonderful book, Don't Wait Until the Battle is Over, Shout Victory Now. It is such a great honor to have uh, Reverend Green talk with us today. And in addition to that, she's done some phenomenal work um, with the AIDS Foundation of Chicago, uh, doing prison ministry work, uh, and with the NAACP doing HIV uh, work. And I want to just stop right there and have Reverend Green come and introduce herself and tell us a little bit about your background. Welcome, Reverend Green. Well, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. And um, uh, again, my name is Reverend Green. Uh, I'm always excited to be able to share uh, some of the wealth that the Lord has given me through my journey with the reentry population, the corrections population. Uh, yeah. I, uh, for 35 years, I've been um, involved with the criminal justice system by way of volunteer chaplaincy work, by way of marrying a man in prison. That's part of my my life journey. And also by way of building a fabulous uh organization through the work uh, of the bridge, uh, which was the work that my husband did on the inside and the work that I did on the outside to bridge people back to their communities. So I'm so excited. The work is my husband made his transition in 2011 in the prison. He never came home, but praise the Lord, the work continues. So I'm excited um, for any opportunity to be able to share um, by radio or by paper or by books, um, some of my life journeys, and hopefully it would help others. So that's a little bit about me. Um, well, let's, world, let's, start with, let's, let's start with how you got involved in prison ministry. What was the, uh, what was the genesis of your journey uh, to, to work with and, and be involved with persons who are uh, incarcerated and formerly incarcerated? Well, it started with my uh, church. <laughs> I was Involved in, I was a member of a church in the suburbs years ago, and as a member, just a member in the church, I didn't even have any titles at that time. I just uh, was a member of church, and uh, Good News mm-hmm. Mission was an organization, prison ministry organization that came and visited visited my church, and I was so touched by the work that they were doing um, with um, the communities in Chicago, and it, it, they zoomed in on the on the prison in their presentation, video presentation, and I was really touched. I knew at that time, knew no one that was incarcerated, at least I didn't think I did. 
But as yeah. I got involved at that point, I um, found out several people in my communities and even in my family that were missing. <laughs> we didn't know where they were. They were actually incarcerated. So that that's how the work started for me. It started by me being at church and I saw a vision, saw someone else doing something, and and another person that inspired me greatly was Mother Consuela York as I I learned more about prison ministry and prison work, and, and I saw her on television, and, and I just saw how much she was loved by, for the work that she was doing. And um, I felt God calling me to continue uh, working more, so I was able to reach out to Mother Consuela York, and while she did all of her, most of her work in the, in the jails, she would often visit the prisons where I was a volunteer chaplain, and I was able to sit under Mother Consuela York every Mother's Day for about five years, and, and I was able to even, um, at her funeral home going, I was able to bring information from the prisoners at Stateville uh, to her uh, home going to show how much they cared for her. So that's how I got started. I got started as a mission, as a calling, and that's what it's always been. I am so uh, happy um, to hear you tell that story because, you know, Christian folk, um, I think, have gotten away from the idea of uh, doing uh, ministry uh, to the world in a way that changes people's lives. Uh, We want to talk about Jesus, but we don't want to talk about the and we don't want to do the work uh, that Jesus called us to do, uh, to reach out to those who are lost in ways yes. that uh, separate them from community, in ways that separates them uh, from society, and then um, to do the work of rehabilitation, uh, and, and, and that work calls for us to be loving, compassionate, committed people. You know, nobody wants to have their... Uh, so-called faults pointed out to them and told that they're they're bad people and they they should uh, look like we look and act like we act and do like we do. People need to be accepted and loved right where they are, the same way that God accepts and loves us right where we are. Uh, you you made a wonderful quote in your book. Uh, you said, uh, "When I first entered prison, I judged the people I met." I have been taught to. Ministries uh, were for innocent victims like babies and orphans, not for people who had committed crimes. What what led you to the point that you could uh, no longer see people as uh, as uh, uh, terrible people who had done bad things and start to look at them as people who um, were in need of love and compassion just like everybody else? It took me entering into the prison system and actually seeing the people. You know, I, I believe in the saying, with the eyes see, the heart has a tendency to believe. And I yeah. saw in the eyes of the people incarcerated a form of Jesus that I had never seen before. Um, yeah. I was taught through Christianity that Jesus, all about Jesus and the love of Jesus, but it took me taking that journey into the prison where I actually seen Jesus manifested in the eyes of the people that were there, in the heart. I mean, this is what I, I did. I went there judging people. I really did because of my life experience. But as I sat there and, and as the Lord was working on me, as I'm thinking I'm there to help them, and all the time it, the Lord was working on me. So 
so I can learn how to love be, people beyond um, they not going to church, beyond the crams or what, beyond all of that. And so that's mm-hmm. what happened to me. I, I got I got touched by God in such a way inside the prison, volunteering to help. I, I actually seen Jesus in the in the eyes and in the hearts of the people that I saw. I even had a vision years ago of Jesus being behind bars, and, and it was so. Yeah. Then I wasn't quite sure where I was going, but I knew I was following the Lord. And and that also drew me into this prison work. And it also, and when I got back there, I saw the pain of how we read about Jesus' pain when he was being forsaken, you know, and how he was, he gave up himself. And I saw that in the eyes of the people incarcerated. And that's what drew me more. And that's why 35 years I have never changed the mission God has called me to do. Many people have came to me and asked me, why don't I work with children? Why don't you? They saw my passion, but they always wanted to send me to Calcutta somewhere or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're testifying about, you know, you know, prophesying over me and all of that. But my heart could not leave from the calling. And I stayed on track and been here 35 years, and I would give nothing for this journey. I know this is what God has called me to do. So I, um, a lot of struggles, uh, a lot of loss, but so much more gain. And, and and reading that quote in your book, it reminded me very much of um, a um, quote by Brian Stevenson, who is the um, the CEO of um, the Equal Justice Initiative, um, and he wrote a, a wonderful book as well called uh, uh, Just Mercy. Uh, Brian says mm-hmm. each one of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done, and when we can see people as more than just criminals more than yes. just murderers or thieves or more than, uh, if they're even guilty of those crimes, when we can look beyond the thing that they've done and realize that this is a son of some mother or father, a brother or some sister, uh, the uncle, the nephew, this is a person that God loves and, it, and requires us to love as well. And that's the part that is so incredible to me, that not only does God love us and love everyone, but for yes. those of us who uh, follow Christ, he calls us to love everyone just as, as he does. Now, yes. your, your ministry has moved from just uh, being one of prison ministry where you go and talk to people about Christ and talk to them about rehabilitation and helping them to move uh, into the community, back into the communities in which they've come from, but uh, to one of advocacy. Uh, You have done a lot of work uh, with uh, legislators, uh, helping to move uh, policy and changing the way that... uh, Persons who are incarcerated are treated and helping to to create uh, new environments in the communities in which they return. Talk a, bit, yeah. a little bit about your advocacy work for us. Well, uh, in the organization now, which started out as you know being inside the prison helping people, it has has moved. We have crossed over this bridge, and now we're in the community doing more mostly reentry work. We still go in and do some advocacy work on the inside of the not advocacy, but ministry work on the inside, but. The, the organization has grown uh, where we do health care, health and wellness care. We do social uh, economic recovery services around identification restoration. And we also have a, uh, um, a department where we do advocacy work. And in that department is our, what's called our Harm Reduction in Prison Coalition. 
And the harm reduction that we advocate for for prisoners and returning citizens health care is around health care, and it's because we believe that good prison health is good community health. We just yes. believe that if we get health care on the inside, people, when they come home, um, uh, they live longer, and, our, and it doesn't cost our 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 budget, a, a strain on our budget if they come home healthy. But what we are finding yeah. is a lot of people are coming home um, not healthy and they're, they die prematurely, I would say, because of the health care that they're not receiving in uh, prisons and jails. So I, I'm, I'm, we do advocacy work mostly around on the state level around uh, good health care for pre- people coming out of prison. And in part of that uh, advocacy work around health care, uh, you, I had the great pleasure of witnessing you go toe-to-toe uh, with uh, prison officials around uh, condom use in prison because that's one of the things that helps promote uh, health care and reduce the spread of HIV in prison. Uh, yeah. And that's something that our state legislators here in Illinois have been resisted to, resisting to, uh, but we know from uh, other states um, that uh, uh, condoms uh, reduce the spread of HIV and is not a danger to the prison workers uh, or to the inmates. Um, yes. And so to have somebody like you who stands up and says, you know, in spite of those who uh, don't want to uh, uh, hear what you have to say, uh, that it, this is good policy, that this yes, makes a difference, not only in the lives of the persons who are incarcerated, but to uh, the people that they return home to, because these men and women come back home uh, to wives and girlfriends and boyfriends uh, uh, when they're re- released, and that means that they're HIV uh, infected while in prison. They bring that infection back to the community. Right, and there's so much research that let us know that the majority of the people that's HIV positive in prison, way out, they were HIV positive before they even went to prison. So it's not yeah. is that they go into prison to contract HIV. HIV is, is contracted through unprotected sex, uh, needle, or using bad needles. So you, you can be, it's not where you are, it's what you're doing. If you are in the community um, having sex unprotected or using needles, it's not, um, not the needles, it's the blood that be on the needles, need, using unclean needles, um, being tattooed with bad needles. It's, it's just not just being in prison, and that's the, what I, 10 years advocating for condoms accessibility in, in our state. It's been a struggle, but we continue because in California we were able to, Harm Reduction Coalition was able to support a coalition in California, and right now California now are implementing condoms. They are, it's going to be in every prison in California. So we've been advocating with them. We've been advocating in our state uh, to for our legislators to take the blinders off because they, they, they just they mad said is that prisoners are shouldn't be committing crimes or crime to have sex. But you know, we are human beings, and people are having sex everywhere. So, <laughs> and my thought is, why why prevent prevent people that can have condoms available? We're not saying hand them to them. We're saying make them accessible, meaning there's some place. Yeah there where they can re- get them in the machines in California. They have them in dispenser machines. Uh, the nursing departments are giving them out in some of the prisons in, in San Francisco. I mean, they are, it's happening in other places. We here in Illinois are still struggling with this. We, we have to start thinking more broadly on how we can make our communities safe. 
And what makes it so work, what makes it so restorative is that these are the people that were there and they know exactly how to work with those that are coming home. So, um, so restorative justice to me is the language that is out there, but that is real work. That means, you know, it's more than just putting something down on paper. There's a lot of implementation. I mean, you got to walk with the people as they're walking through this journey, re-entering back into our communities. You have to be yes. there for them. And then you have to allow them to sit in your seat and see. And that's the area that I don't see a lot of agencies as of yet and organizations ready to do is give up some of those seats and allow this, this mission that we own to be led by those that were mostly impacted by that. Now, I'm not saying that we, as whatever we want to call ourselves, professionals. Now, I come from the families of incarcerated. I was married to someone for over 20 years. So I, I definitely have some things to say about it, and I want to be at the table on anything being developed around families. But the people that I feel that makes the most impact with work around restoration and re- all that is the people that was actually there and can help us walk through how to make that work. Every program at Men and Women in Prison Ministry was developed by the formerly incarcerated people. Because they know what to develop because they know what works. So restorative justice, I think, is one of the most beautiful things that ever came out. And and, and seeing the people actually working through that is what I see at my office every day. Every day. I love the concept of um, taking um, the offended person and the persons that they've offended and putting them in the same room and in allowing room. healing oh, to yes. happen. Yeah, the, the idea that you don't have... Sending a person to prison separates them from everything. It does right. not give relief to the person who's been offended because that person is taken away from them and whatever they've had uh, stolen or however they've been injured doesn't get repaired. But when no. you have a person sitting there explaining to the offender how they've been harmed by what they've done and have yes. that offender be able to hear what they have done and how it's changed that person's life and then have that person say, I'm sorry, that makes the, the bond come together and, and it, it helps us to be human towards one another. And so this idea of restorative justice, you know, keeping me out of prison, uh, because I made a mistake, because I did something that I didn't realize. Most people don't realize that every action that they have have consequences uh, that sometimes is immeasurable. And so to have people be able to sit down with one another in, uh, in groups and in peace circles and other kinds of settings where they can actually hear and then make restitution. Prison mm-hmm. does not give us the opportunity to have persons make direct restitution to the person that they've harmed. And so this concept of restorative justice seems to be one that we should latch on to with both hands and figure out how we can, you know, make it spread, especially in a community like ours where we represent most of the people in prison. And we want to keep our young men and women from going to prison in the first place and and change their way of thinking. And so I'm so glad to hear that you guys are, are developing more and more uh, ways that people can be brought into a system of restorative justice as opposed to um, this current uh, unequal so-called justice system that does not work. Absolutely. Um, I, I, again, 
just talking about some of these um, initiatives and different projects that the Lord has allowed us to create uh, to support the families of incarcerated people. We have a family support group monthly meeting where the families can come together. And, we, and, what, and what we see happening is we see bridges being built. We see bridges being built back with uh, sons and mothers that uh, one woman came to our family support group. She said she hadn't seen her son in years. She hated him because of what the crime he committed before he went to prison, and it just destroyed her. But she was able, after so many months of, of sitting and listening to other people's testimonies, she became able to help and go back and re- do restoration with her own son. See, now, yes. to me, that is so powerful. Yes. That's so powerful. That is- you know, it, 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 it's, our families have been so destroyed by this mass incarceration piece that it's going to take a lot of work, not just my organization, but so many others. We all have to come together, and wherever the Lord have us, we need to work in that spot. We need to work to try to bring that restoration piece in full in our communities. I want to just ask you to uh, tell us a little bit about your book. I know we have just about run out of time, but... Uh, I want people to know about uh, Don't Wait Till the Battle is Over, Shout to Victory Now, which is the, an autobiographical story of Reverend Doris Green. Uh, this book is full of um, real information about the uh, lives of people who we want to discard, the people who are incarcerated, but it's also a real poignant look at her own life. She tells a story of what it's like to uh, have been a victim of, uh, of uh, uh, sexual abuse. She tells a story of what it's like to be a part of a dysfunctional family. She tells a story of what it's like to encounter uh, people that uh, she didn't know and then become part of their actual lives and their family. And so yes. I want you to tell us, how, how did you come to write this book, Reverend? This, this book was written really 25 years ago, um, it, and it came from the beginning work, my prison ministry work. And I had met so many hurting people back then, I didn't realize how hurt I was. <laughs> I yes. was a lot of those pains myself. And as as I as we worked um, as chaplains, volunteer chaplains, as we worked to help people, we were beginning to get healed, and the people they began to trust us. So, what happened was they uh, we decided to write a book, and we asked the prisoners, people incarcerated, what they support by telling their testimony about what happened to them, what led them into the incarceration. Well, uh, and they wrote and talked about about four people wrote and talked about their life before they were incarcerated and what led to it. And as I, as, then I started writing the things that was happening to me, and it, um, the way it's put together, it's so powerfully put together, is that I tell a story about an, an inmate, and then at the end of the story I give my, my comment to show my life, how my life reflected today, but by the grace of God I should have been incarcerated. Mm-hmm. I talked about I talk about one brother wrote about a death at an early age, and what ha- uh, him seeing so much death at an early age, and then I, my story is about me seeing my mother fall dead at four years old, early age, and all my my little puppy. You know, I tell the personal story about my life with death at an early yeah. age, and then there's another chapter about the sporty life, where one of the inmates wrote about the glitter, and he just fell for the drugs and all of that, and this this you know, out with a lot of women and all. Then I share my life because I had a life similar to that and how 
I should have been incarcerated, but he's incarcerated. And then there's this woman, the battered woman, and what she went through, her life went through, and she ended up killing her husband, uh, uh, being charged with attempted murder. I came so close to killing one of my husbands because I was a battered woman. So these are all of these stories, and the way they are written is that we talk about a person incarcerated, we tell what kind of sentence they end up with, and it talks about my life. And I got no time, you see. I didn't, get in, I didn't get locked up, but by the grace of God, I could have been locked up for the things that happened in my life and, and just being in place, the wrong place at the, at the wrong time. <laughs> so that's yes, the way yes, it was yes. written. But it, it was 25 years ago, and it sat on the shelf all of this time. I couldn't get it published back then. And no one wanted to. We tried to get it published, and no one wanted to write about prisoners and how, why they committed crimes and what they did and things like that, because it gets kind of graphic in some of those stories. So we never got it written. It never got published, and it sat on the shelf for this 25 years. And um, one day I shared it with my grandson, and my grandson literally cried and said, Grandma, I didn't know those things about you. And then it dawned on me. I have this wealth of information even about my life that my family don't even know. At least my grandson knew nothing about it. And that's what inspired me to go ahead and push it through to get published. And the first publisher we sent it to, a Christian Faith Publisher, accepted the book. Oh, that's phenomenal. It's just, now, now we had sent it out to like 10 people years ago. Nobody wanted to touch it. They sent back their response, no, not at this time. But, but first time it went out two years ago, about a year and a half ago, um, the Christian publish, uh, faith publisher, they accepted it. We had, it took about a year to get it really finished because we had to make so many edits to it because it's been so long ago. You know, we had to make sure yeah. people understood when they were reading that this book was back in the 80s. Yeah. Um, in 90s, you know, is when this, these things happened. So, and it's out now, and I'm getting pretty good reviews so far, and, and hopefully I'll get me a real good, publicist now to help me get it out because I think I would love for everyone to have a copy of it in their home that they can share but by the grace of God there goes me because we have in the communities we have these experiences that people don't know about and we can't keep hiding these things we are no different from the community behind the walls if we think about it we really not (laughs) is it still available on Amazon yeah, it's available now on Amazon, and yes, if you can go on Amazon and just put Reverend Green in there or shout, you can put, don't wait till the bell is over, and it'll come up. Or either you can go to my website, www.mwipm.com, and it's on the front page of our website. Wonderful. I, I am so glad that we've had this opportunity to talk, Reverend Green. It's always a pleasure to hear from you and to, to listen to the things that you have done in your phenomenal life. Uh, I've been talking to Reverend Doris Green, uh, who is the author of Don't Wait Until the Battle is Over, Shout Victory Now. She is also an uh, advocate for men and women in prison, and she is the CEO of her own organization, Men and Women in Prison Ministry. She's a former uh, advocate for the AIDS Foundation of Chicago, uh, doing yes. prison outreach, and she's also uh, the um, she is a uh, an advisor to the NAACP for their Black Church and HIV initiative, and yes. uh, we are just it 
the world is a better place, uh, Reverend Green, because of the work that you have done throughout your life. And I'm so glad that we've had an opportunity to have this conversation. And God bless you, Reverend Strait, and thank you so much. This podcast, Moral Justice, has been an offering of the Faith United Methodist Church, where I, Charles Strait, serve as the pastor there. We are located at 15015 Grant Street in Dalton, Illinois. If you're ever in the area, please come and worship with us. You can find our um, webpage at www.faithunitedmc.com. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Pastor Charles Strait. Uh, I look forward to more conversations uh, with you in the future and great guests that will come and participate in those conversations. Until next time, uh, be blessed and make the world a more moral and just place. This podcast was brought to you by Collab Media. To hear more amazing episodes, subscribe in your favorite app today. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.